This is Fully Sick, a podcast about chronic illness and disability. This isn't a space for Debbie Downers, inspiration porn or snake oil merchants. I'll just be having a chat with a different person every fortnight about their experiences. My name's Jenny O'Keefe and my experience comes from 12 years of fibromyalgia and 5 years of chronic fatigue. In translation, all my stuff hurts and I'm super naked most of the time. I also live a pretty fun and full life and my illness isn't the be-all and end-all of my existence. Being fully sick can be isolating at times, so I'm going to meet up with a different person each fortnight and hear their story. Bit of state the obvious housekeeping, this podcast isn't a substitute for medical advice. Each person's story is their own individual expression and doesn't seek to explain the situation of everyone with the same condition, illness or disability. That's Diversity University 101. As well as hearing from a different person each episode, we'll also have regular contributions from Dr. Alice Williamson, our science guru, to demystify the biology of chronic conditions, illness and disability. On with the show. Welcome to episode 12 of Fully Sick with Michelle who has dysautonomia. There's a few things I'd like to mention before we get cracking today. Uh, firstly, I am incredibly brain fogged at the time of recording and when I was editing uh, this morning, I made a decision to leave in all of my umming and ahhing because although it doesn't sound as slick and produced, it's a pretty accurate representation of brain fog and the whirring of cogs and how things really are. So I know when I hear or read interviews that are super produced or edited or full of information, I can find it a little bit intimidating and difficult to take in. So this one's going out to all my brain fogged bros. I had a ball meeting, Michelle, and being in her beautiful home, it was brilliant to really, you know, take some time together and just be in a home space. I'd been on the road um, for about three or four days, so it was really great to just hang out and be comfortable together. Um, you'll hear contributions from her chickens throughout the podcast, and her great Dane Freya has her moment in the sun as well. I checked in beforehand to see what would make the experience work best for Michelle and she said regular breaks would be great and I agreed for my own sort of selfish brain requirements as well. We set a timer every 20 minutes or so and took a break so I'd like to invite you to do the same. Have a stretch or a moment of quiet in the couple of breaks in this interview. I'll pop a few seconds of sort of plinky plonky music in there for your relaxational pleasure. In a few moments, you'll hear my conversation with Michelle. And as always, first up is our science guru, Dr. Alice Williamson, to demystify the biological component of dysautonomia. Dysautonomia describes not one, but rather a group of several conditions that affect the function of the autonomic nervous system. The autonomic nervous system controls the workings of the inner organs of the body and processes that are automatic such as breathing, bladder function, and regulation of blood pressure. A person living with dysautonomia experiences irregularities in the function of internal organs and systems, which leads to a wide range of symptoms that can include abnormal heart rates, lightheadedness and fainting, and nausea and gastrointestinal problems, amongst many others. Dysautonomia is most commonly a form of neuropathy that affects the nerves that connect the central nervous system the brain and spinal cord with the internal organs and other parts of the body. However, there are also other causes and it can be secondary to another disease or condition such as autoimmune disorders. Neurocardiogenic dysautonomia is the most common form of the condition with experiences ranging from one or two fainting episodes over the course of a lifetime to several per day. 
In severe cases where fainting and therefore falling occurs regularly, broken bones and even permanent brain trauma can be a result of the condition. Some forms of dysautonomia can be fatal. Multiple system atrophy is a rare form of the condition that affects people over the age of 40. It has similar symptoms to Parkinson's disease, but they develop much more quickly. There is currently no cure for dysautonomia, although a range of medicines are available to treat the various symptoms. People living with dysautonomia may also have to adjust their lifestyle to help them to manage their symptoms and to minimise the impact on their quality of life. Michelle Roger is a woman I found out about on Facebook when a friend shared her blog, Living With Bob, about life with dysautonomia about a year ago. <laughs> Just got the thumbs up on the pronunciation. Nailed it. Uh, I thought her words were great, real, really funny, honest and real. And I invited her to be part of this podcast. And I found myself um, down in her neck of the woods for a wedding this weekend. So taking a little detour to visit Michelle at her place in Gippsland and we're meeting now for the first time. So I hope this isn't Orkies. Not at uh, all. Just rock up to your house with a microphone <laughs> and tell me many personal informations about you. Of course, of course, <laughs> totally natural. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks very much for being part of the podcast. Um, how are you today? How are you feeling? Uh, not too bad. Always a bit weary in the mornings while mm. all the meds sort of take a while to kick in, but... Otherwise, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I'm having, I'm a bit foggy at the moment because, um, I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of wedding season and I've got about six audio projects on the go and there's a, you know, there's a thousand things happening. So when I went to do a bit of research about Bob, all the words turned into soup on the screen. (laughs) So I thought I would take another approach and come in fresh and just come in knowing very little. Yep. Can you tell me about your condition and also specifically how it started for you? Okay. Well, dysautonomia is like an umbrella term for a whole collection of disorders. So it's like if you say cancer and then you've got breast cancer and bowel cancer and things like that. So mm-hmm. essentially, um, it's the autonomic nervous system in the body is your body's autopilot. And what happens when you get dysautonomia is it decides not to function properly anymore. Um, for some people, it's the nerves themselves are destroyed and for others it's actually just a malfunctioning of it so the signals themselves are pretty buggered up basically Mm. um and that can cause a whole host of different problems um it affects or the autonomic nervous system is part of your entire system it's the body's autopilot i think i said um so it affects heart rate blood pressure digestion Um, your bowels and bladder, whether you sweat or not, um, your internal um, thermoregulation, so your body temperature, I can't control that anymore. Um, And even the way your um, pupils dilate is all part of it. So, yeah, so from head to toe, essentially, it is sending nerves, and so you can have symptoms for wherever it's bucket up, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, and it can range from really mild, so some people won't even know they've got it, and then other people will be quite severe and they can be hospitalised. And there is a couple of forms where you can pass away, but they're incredibly rare. So most yeah. people don't go that route. They just get to live with the fun of it and manage it every day. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so for me, um, I've probably had symptoms all my life and never knew what they were. Mm. Um, so I have problems even as a kid with standing up for a long time I'd feel sick and get really pasty and pale and I was a pretty weak pathetic child (laughs) so I think my dad always says I have the constitution of a wet tissue (laughs) Um, and I had lots of health problems growing up and 
through my 20s as well. Mm. Um, and then in 2006, I collapsed at work mm. and ended up in ED. And that was the first time I went, something's really not right here. Mm. Um, no one could diagnose anything. And I just went home from hospital and sort of sucked it up basically. And then I got sick in uh, Singapore on the way home in the plane and again had a really big slump and couldn't quite pick myself up from it. And I was yeah. constantly nauseous and profuse sweating. Like mm. I had to change my clothes during the day and um, my heart was racing and then slowing and racing and slowing. And I was just feeling constantly ill and like I was going to faint. And then by Christmas that year, I got gastro, I think, three times at work. Oh. <laughs> we had a really huge outbreak. What was your work? Uh, neuropsychology. Yeah. So I was in a hospital yeah. and it was like the gastro apocalypse oh. at that point. Oh, no. <laughs> so like we closed down wards and everything. Yeah. It was just shocking. Um, and my body never really recovered from that point. And mm. the symptoms just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, finally went and saw my GP and she said, yes, this isn't really good. Yeah. Uh, no idea what it was and went through more tests than I can count and horrible doctors. And then through a sheer fluke at work, another woman was fainting and seizing and she was seeing a doctor in town who specialized in women who faint. Yeah. And I went there and she said, you have, there you go. Diagnosis. Yeah. And that was it. How, so, how did you react to that, having a name for what was going on? Fantastic, yeah. to be honest. What a relief to know yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. so because I had no idea what was going on. It was just getting worse and worse and worse. And my cardiologist, who I still see now, so it's 2007 I first met her and still seeing her. Um, and she was so comforting and so, you know, it's not all in your head like you've been told yeah. and and all of that. And she was just, yeah, it was like... It's weird to say you're excited with the diagnosis, yeah. but it was something to hold on to. It's gotten more complicated over time, so that original diagnosis isn't really enough to explain what's going on with my body. Mm. Um, so now it's sort of, back then it was called uh, neurocardiogenic syncope. So, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I fainted. I mm. fainted. My blood pressure would drop and my heart rate would drop and I'd pass out. Mm. And that was happening quite frequently. And then in between that, um, if you've ever fainted and you have those feelings of graying out and sweating and nausea and all that, that's every day. Yeah. Ugh. So, and it's still every day. Yeah. <laughs> so right. it's not pleasant, even if you're not fainting. Mm. It's almost, it would be a relief these days if I could faint, mm. which sounds weird as well. <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things. Um, but since that time, it's sort of progressed and progressed and progressed. And now I just sort of get like a, general dysautonomia tag yeah. as to what's going on because they can't pinpoint exactly what it is and I don't fit any of the subtypes anymore and mm. yeah so it's just gotten complex <laughs> so how long has that been for now it's 10 years this year yeah happy so. anniversary yay yay <laughs> double digits yes yeah, celebration I, time. I remember getting I think it was last year or the year before I got to 10 years I woo yeah yeah <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so can I ask how old you are now? I'm 43 now. 43? Yeah. Don't look a day over 42. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So what's an average day for you at the moment? Uh, At the moment, it's hard to say an average day because Mm. the nature of the disorder is it fluctuates. So you can have a really good patch and then go through a really crap patch. Um, 
if it's a good patch, then like say this morning, I get up, I'm nauseous, feel like I want to vomit, um, I'm weak and exhausted and I sort of plot around and take my medication and have a couple of coffees to try and get things started and mm. I usually don't eat until well after lunchtime because I just can't stomach anything. Yeah. Um, so I just pot around the house. I usually try and do a bit of online stuff, which usually I forget half of what I'm doing. <laughs> um, I do. It's all about pacing as much as I hate pacing with a passion. Um, I'm very much a, I want to do it and I want to do it now type of person. Um, but it's, it, you know, I have to work out if I'm going to do exercise, then either side of that I need rest. Yeah. I can't exercise. Not that it's really huge exercise. Um, but I can't do that and then go and do 12 other things, you know, around the house or whatever. I just, it's not going to be pretty if yeah. I do that. Yeah. Um, so I'll put on a load of washing, sit down and yeah. go make a meal, sit down, go like that's my entire day. And even, I don't know if you've noticed, I've got chairs dotted through the house yeah. so I can sit, <laughs> make my way around the house sitting. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of, that's a good day and I can do bits and pieces. Um, if it's a really good day, I'll write. Mm. Um, I get a lot of brain fog, so that mm. can be hard. Um, on a bad day, I just stay in bed. Yeah. Can't get up. Um, I've had more times than I can count where I've had to crawl from the bed to the toilet or mm. can't shower. It's too much effort. Yeah. Um, even though I do have a shower chair and procedure to do it all and stuff like that. Mm. Um or I find myself just laying on the tiles in the ensuite and just, yeah. oh, I lie there, I get up, I puke, or, yeah. you know, lie back down because I know yeah. it's going to come up again. And, yeah. you know, so it's sort of extremes. Like, yeah. a good day's not great, but it's so much better than a bad day. Than that, cr- so a bad day is more of a crisis level of yeah, symptoms? Yeah. yeah, it's like everything comes to a head and... Like, I've got a pacemaker, so my heart rate's sorted now, but mm. my blood pressure still isn't, even though I take lots of medications mm. and change my lifestyle and all that. Um, but it's like, I always think about it like cascade failure on your computer. Yeah. One thing starts and goes awry, and that then leads to the next one, and then it just sort of snowballs and snowballs and snowballs, and my body just goes, no, 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 no. You're not doing anything. You're just going to be hideously unwell. Yeah. Um, and it's usually, I get uh, migraines, lots of pain, mm. um, my stomach, I've got gastroparesis anyway, so it just makes it even harder to process food and, mm. and I get a lot of pain from that as well. And it just, yeah, it's just one thing after the other, after the other goes wrong and then gradually it goes back the other way as well. So it's yeah. sort of, you know, there's not necessarily a trigger for it. Mm. It's just my body has decided that's it. So that's what's happening today. Yeah. 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 Roll with it. Yep. Yeah. Um, if I'm not sure if this is coming up in the recording, but there is a bit of deep breathing going on. Uh, <laughs> we have a companion in the room with us. Freya. Freya? Yeah. Freya. Yeah. Freya, a great Dane. who's very pretty and she's just having a bit of a snooze on her couch. So it's not me going <laughs> in response to what you're saying. <laughs> I'm not that creepy. Um, <laughs> So what I listen to what, what you're saying and there's a lot of it that I can relate to and a lot of it that I go, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, I have to, I put on a load of washing, I sit down for a bit, I do something else, I sit down for yeah. a bit. Um, 
Yeah, but at a different kind of different kind of level, I think, to what you're describing. Um, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of there's a lot of crossover with people who have chronic illness. Yeah. And a lot of us seem to do the same sort of rituals or the, you know, we've worked out our own little ways to make it through a day. Yeah. And it's just degrees, I guess, that differ or, you know, mm. we all have the same basics and then we have our little individualised bit of crap that's going on yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah. so are there things that um you know not necessarily that are guaranteed to help or hinder you but that often can help or that will make make you feel more well or are there triggers that i know you're saying that there aren't specific triggers but i know for me if i eat a lot of sugar i'm not going to feel great for a couple of days but i do it all the time as you do, because yeah. you have to. Because you have to. You have to. You've got to and live. there's fancy donuts now, and <sighs> what can you do? Look, you got to. We're living in a society, Michelle. You can't, you know. <laughs> you got to live. That's the thing. Yeah, you that's know. It. And sometimes you just go, that piece of cake is so beautiful. I must eat it, even though I'm going to be ill very yep. soon. It I needs guess. to be inside my face. It yeah. does, <laughs> and you need it. I guess. Um, I'm just saying, your sense of self, your spirit or yeah. something needs that cake right there and then yeah. and that's it so yeah i'm all about the cake <laughs> um as far as triggers things like heat horrible 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 um standing for any length of time um what happens is uh my body can't regulate the um, blood vessels in my lower limbs yeah right so hence i'm wearing compression stockings today um so the blood just pulls I like my feet and legs go purple and it's really attractive and swell up and can you get compression stockings in pretty colors yes because you've got some on that yeah. are a beautiful mauve yes um i've got a yeah. collection oh unreal <laughs> if i have to wear them i'm wearing fashionable ones yeah. <laughs> just you know colors are my thing yeah um but yeah so things like standing heat dehydration oh my god mm. that's when i end up in ed and have to have IV fluids and yeah. things like that too. I'm chronically uh, dehydrated and I also have low blood volume anyway, yeah. so it doesn't take much to tip that over. Um, a lot of things just like, uh, say, exercising, if you do that a little bit too much, mm. you know how you're supposed to push yourself? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll push myself and end up in bed for a week. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I still struggle with that part. Mm. But as far as making things better, things like the compression stockings, which are bloody hard to get on, but will give me so much more time mm. of being upright and, you know, have my brain actually work because yeah. um, the blood's going back up for a change. Um, I use a walking stick if I'm on, like, the backyard. I can't mm. feel the ground properly anymore. Mm. And particularly if I've got shoes on, I cannot feel where I'm stepping. Yeah. Um, I use a wheelchair when I'm out and about mm. and that's been a godsend. I hated it at first, but it's been a godsend now. And she's got a name. Lucille. Lucille, that's yes. right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I've had Bernice, Vera and now I'm up to Lucille. <laughs> <laughs> and Lucille's brilliant. Lucille's yeah. an electric wheelchair yeah. and she also tilts back. So mm, when nice. my blood pressure goes, I can okay. just go backwards. Yeah. And then I can come back up again and stay out. Um, so things like that are great. I drink about two to three litres of water a day. I mm. uh, have to have a high salt diet. Oh. I know. I've got to have salty foods. It's so, so you've good. You've got to have tatie cakes, man. I do. Yeah. Potato nice. gems are now a house food. Oh, fantastic. 
there's little highlights. <laughs> um, I use things like a shower chair. Mm. As I said, I've got the chairs dotted through the house so I can sit everywhere I go. Yeah. Um, medications. I'm on a bucket load of medications to mm. manage all the various bits and pieces. Pacemaker, Jerry, who I got, um, was it? I collapsed a week after my 40th birthday mm. and my heart rate wouldn't get up above 45. Oof. And so my birthday present was a pacemaker, yeah. um, which has been fantastic, actually, like peace of mind and mm. not being grey all the time is really nice too. Yeah. Um, so those kind of things, I guess, physically help. And then I guess emotionally, psychologically or whatever, um, I try to fill my house house with stuff that I love. Yeah. So it's colours and pattern and all that kind of crap. Um, lots of bits and pieces that have meaning and that. Yeah, so yeah. if you can't get out of the house, you have to make your house your yeah. sanctuary. Um, and like in the backyard, I've got a little corner in the backyard with pink flamingos and red chairs and mm-hmm. I've got my chook shed. And yeah. So sort of those kind of things make being at home all the time much more bearable mm. as well. So. Yeah, I really relate to that too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I, yeah, colour and just feeling happy when you look around your yes. surroundings yes. It, it has such an impact it really such does. an impact yeah and like particularly like we've gone from owning our own house to now to renting so mm. you can't do as much as you'd like but i've still got you know i've got a big mirror leaning against the wall we can't hang it and yeah you know a lot of stuff mm. that i've done up myself like my cupboard over there and mm. i've sort of yeah, everything like seashells was the first time I got to the beach after being really ill when we first yeah. got here. So I've got a shell I found. And yeah. that, every time I look at it, I remember that's when I could finally get out of bed and go yeah. somewhere on a lot of endone, but I got there. <laughs> <laughs> and that, So, yeah, so I try, I guess I manage through the medication-y type treatment-y stuff and mm. then I try to manage my emotional well-being, I guess, in other ways. So. Can you, I'll just check the timer. It's got about a minute to go, so we'll pause. Okay. Okay. Um, We're just going to stop for, I don't know what you need to do, but yeah, cup of tea or have a walk or. Big glass of water. Glass of water. Uh, And we'll be back after these messages. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me that story. Oprah, I tell you what, it was a good time when she was on the telly every day. Um, so Michelle, where were we up to? I think yeah, we were talking about um things that that definitely help in terms of physical stuff. But what about emotional stuff? You sort of alluded to um, that there are definite things that help with that. Yeah, um, I guess as I said, setting up the house to make the house, I guess, almost a holiday in a sense. Yeah. Um, so all my bits and pieces that the rest of the family hates because they're dust gatherers <laughs> <laughs> and my, my desire to collect other people's junk, as I'm told. Um, but I like the sense, I guess, for me of that reusing and having broken things 
that are still beautiful. Like that's still, yeah. that's a real, I guess it's part of, you know, I like to think my body's pretty crap, but life mm. is still really good anyway, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, so I think totally. most of my house and most of the crap I have <laughs> is that broken, but still, I don't know, there's still something about it. And that's reassuring in a sense, I guess. That great character. Yeah. Things that have had quite a life. Yeah. Before you've you've brought them to be home and be loved. Yeah. And if I can yeah. find a piece that's got a story with it, I love that even more. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I like to know that someone's used a piece and loved it and it's, you know, travelled with them or something like that. Mm. Um, that kind of thing I really, really love. Um, writing's the other thing that's been my, my, I suppose, my best best source of well-being um that just being able to purge onto a page yeah and it's like initially I didn't share that with anyone and I had a social worker who was coming to the house for counseling um about two years after I first got sick um and she was brilliant so Fran is like if I could clone Fran (laughs) and send her to everyone who's chronically ill I would she's the best best just the best it was like talking to an aunt or something yeah where it's sort of, you know, she'd tell you, yes, what your feeling's fine or no, you're catastrophizing, you know, get over it. Yeah. <laughs> so she was great. But she said, write it down, just write it down. And so I started writing, showed her, and she went, oh, my God, that's really good. Mm. I went, okay, <laughs> I'll just hide it away again. Um, eventually showed my husband and kids. And then I was doing physio as well at the hospital gym. Mm. And we had a small group. Well, at that stage, there was only myself and another woman my age, who's my best friend now, that we met there. And then we were there with, oh, I reckon about 10 other people in their 70s, 80s <laughs> doing physio. Mm-hmm. And that was great. Not. Um, <laughs> and showed her. Yeah. And for her, it was the same thing of, oh, my God, I really relate to what you're saying. And, you know, she's got kids around the same age as mine. Yeah. And it just all gelled. And then I thought, screw it, I'm going to do a blog. Yeah. I thought no one would read that. Apparently people did. <laughs> but just that being able to get it out of my head. Mm. And for me, like the first draft is horrendous. It's like red lines and I don't mm. even know what it says half the time, you know, missing my ands and these and <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. But that process of working through and editing edits my thoughts, edits my emotions. Yeah. And I put it out, and it might be a really depressing piece, but by the end, I'm like, oh, I feel better now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so sort of, it's weird. I find people read it and relate, but they also worry that, you know, if it's a sad piece or something, that I'm still really sad. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm not actually. Mm. I'm sharing it so other people know it's not just them. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's a real process of. I always think of it as purging. It's just purging. It's really purging. <laughs> and all the, you know, the stress and the fear and the, you know, I went through a few stages where the neurologist thought it was really something that was going to kill me, basically. Oh, God. And so I did like a week-long intensive in neurology and had all sorts of tests done and bits cut out and stuff like mm. that. And it was all very, you know, this could be really bad, Michelle. And so I wrote about that and it was so freeing mm. to do it. And also that feeling of, like, back when I started, it was seven years ago I started writing, and 
no one was really talking about that. So yeah. I was trying to find other people's stuff to read, particularly dysautonomia blogs. Couldn't really find any at all. It was maybe like one or two. But it was either the extremes of permanently perky, which I just can't handle. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that American group think of yeah. must be really positive. Everything's fine. Everything's it's fine. Great. Ooh, yeah, and yeah. The, there's there's a, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but if I don't, I'll you'll fall out of my head. Um, <laughs> there's a, uh, there's a Helen Garner book um, called The Spare Room, and she describes a dear old friend coming to stay with her who's dying of cancer, and she describes this glassy smile, yep. and it's such a good description. It's just like you know if you tap it it'll shatter yeah and it's so that <laughs> it's so false though yeah and, and so the other extreme of that is the permanently pessimistic one and sort of mm. for me neither of those represent life yeah because life is up and down and good and bad and all sorts of shades of stuff and no one really was talking in that sense when i started yeah um so i just sort of went this is life, blah, <laughs> you know, good, bad. This is my yeah. stupid thoughts at 3am and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I'm um, really quite open about things. Like there's a lot of delightful issues with your bowels and bladder when you yeah. have dysautonomia. So I've been really open yeah. about that. And every time without fail, people go, oh my God, thank you. Yeah. What like, a relief. I'm not yeah, alone. I'm yeah. not weird. I'm not, yeah. Yeah. And it's sort yeah. of, all these topics of symptoms we don't talk about because they're icky mm. or they're too private or whatever. And doctors don't even talk about them. They don't even bring it up. Really? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's all heart, heart rate <laughs> and blood pressure is the main thing doctors will talk about. Yeah. And then you go, but you know, I can't, I haven't been to the loo for two weeks. Oh, <laughs> like, God. you know, what do I do here? And it's yeah. like, oh, we'll just refer you somewhere. It's, yeah. you know, it's sort of, Unless you bring it up as a patient, it's not being discussed. Mm. So on the blog, I've been really open about the whole kit and caboodle, the bits and pieces and some, you know, I went through a phase where I had chronic diarrhea for about two or three years. I ended up hospitalized. Three years? Yeah. So multiple times a day, just horrendous and hospitalized and stuff like that. And, you know, just the joy of trying to find a loo in the hills around Melbourne yeah, <laughs> and having to work out, I leave my house now and I know there's a toilet there, 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 and there, and there, and there. So mm. it might be three or four stops to go on a 10 minute trip. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. Mm. And I started writing about that and people are like, Oh, it's, it's not just me. I've been so embarrassed. You know, I've had mm. accidents. I've all this kind of stuff. And it's yeah. like, no, you're not alone. And your doctor should be discussing this mm. and patients should be discussing this. Yeah. Um, I'm very much anti that whole too much information. Yeah. Like it's... You More know, information, the better. Yeah. 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 Then and you know what, what you're dealing with. Because otherwise it's scary. Yeah. You know, and mm. when you've got a disorder where the nerves can be buggered up pretty much anywhere, you can get all sorts of weird crap happening. Mm. And people freak the hell out because no one's discussed it. Yeah. And the doctor doesn't discuss it. And, you know, so that to me helps my emotional well-being being able to share mm. that for my own junk yeah. and then to be able to help someone else as well in the process. Do you feel like your your work background has helped you to navigate the medical system and to I guess like I want to use the phrase deal with doctors because it's not always a positive experience and there's often 
a lot of welts along your head until you find the right person. Mm. Has that been helpful for you, having that background? Yes and no. Uh, it still didn't stop the all in your head issue at oh. all. Um, one guy in particular I went and saw, he was supposed to be into cardiac issues and stuff like that, and he told me I had working women's syndrome. Oh. Yeah. He told Yep. 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 Great. And, <laughs> and my husband was working away during the week and home on weekends, and that apparently was the cause of it. Right. Of course. Um, and I was depressed <laughs> and anxious and all this kind of crap. And it's like I'm sitting there going, you do realise I'm a psychologist by trade. I've got a bit of a clue. Um, But he was just horrendous. How dismissive. Yeah. And disrespectful. That's just... Yeah. And I just think there's a lot of people who wouldn't challenge that. Yeah. Um, I got really upset. I'll admit that I burst into tears when I got in a car and I was Mm. just... It was just overwhelmingly horrible. Mm. Um, But I then got angry and then kept searching. Mm. So... I guess, I don't know if that's a work thing or whether it's just I'm stubborn, which is just in general. Um, it helps, I guess, in a sense that a lot of the terminology and things like that, the jargon, I guess a lot of doctors can't seem to talk outside of jargon. Mm. Um, so I understand a lot of that. And my two main specialists talk to me more as an equal, I guess, than a patient. Um, but I've had equally a number of horrible horrible doctors who just uh, they shouldn't be doctoring basically yeah um they've got no bedside manner they've got no no sense of what patient experiences and the fact that you know you see a doctor for 10 minutes pay you 200 bucks mm. for a specialist and then you go home and have to deal with it for the rest of the year but yeah. there's no concept of that for a lot of them mm. um the one bad thing I would say was I was working in neurology at the time. So, like, I'd lay in, in bed at night going, oh, my God, I've got a tumour. I've got a tumour. Yeah. I've got MS. I've got whatever. Yeah. And knowing all those options, like, you just, you can't help when you're not knowing what's going wrong, but you're seeing these symptoms and then relating them to what you're working with. Mm. Like, that was really hard at yeah. the beginning. Yeah. And you sort of think, you know... Oh, I'm working in health, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll work it out. No, no. Mm. You know, when you get ill, particularly when you get seriously ill, you're just like everyone else. You know, you might have a leg up in certain areas, but mm. you still go through those emotional processes. You still have to deal with the fear and the... Because I get insomnia as well, so it's really yeah. nice. I get to lie in bed <laughs> and think. Um, so in a sense, it was good. I had the background and it was really bad. And it mm. still comes down to the quality of the doctor yeah, and the potluck of finding the one who can put the pieces together. Um, look, I wrote a piece on the blog about um, the way I was treated, particularly by that first guy. Mm. And I sort of think, you know, I've got a pacemaker now. There was something going on. Um, but if I'd listened and just gone, oh, it's all in my head, it's all in my head, you know, could I have ended up carking it or even, you know, worse mm. ill or... Or whatever, because that doctor had told me it was all in my head. It's so hard when you're you're so unwell, and that's the time when you need to advocate for yourself and pull strength out of somewhere. Yeah. Even though it might have taken all your strength to to have a shower that day and get to where you're going to see that yep. asshole. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. It's shocking. It really is, mm. and it's. I would say things have improved 
since I first got um, sick, so that's 10 years, so it is a big chunk of time, but there are enough doctors still out there acting like that and that whole mm. hysterical woman, hysterical woman. and Unbelievable. You know, you go onto a forum and it's like, well, the doctor told me it's all in my head. It's because I have kids. I just mm. need a boyfriend. I just need to get pregnant. I just need to get married. And, and it's like, how is that advice, yeah. you know? And I find, I guess that's one of the things I've become more advocate Advocate? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I advocate more. <laughs> Um, and more activisty. There you go. Yeah. Um, because I get so irritated that it's still happening. Yeah. That this is still where medicine is. That women are still hysterical. Yeah. You know, I mean, guys get it as well. Don't get me wrong, but fall back every time for someone who comes in and has symptoms that they're a bit odd is hysterical. Mm. It's like, oh, are we still there? Really? Like, yeah. It's, yeah. And trying to fight that, as you say, when you're so incredibly ill and you're sitting there and you're thinking, this person's supposed to be helping me. Mm. I came here with hope you're going to help and you get nothing. Mm. Like I find that really, now I can advocate for myself. My husband's great. He doesn't take any crap at all. Mm. And he's got really a great face for it of, no, don't mess with me. (laughs) So so he's really good at advocating for me when I can't do it myself. But for so many people it's something they really can't do yeah and there's still that idea of doctor knows best mm. and it's i just i want to shake the medical profession and say stop doing this right mm. people are going to die people are going to get and it's so ego annoyed. yes it's ego bullshit yeah yeah, yeah. yes yeah. yes it is <laughs> it really is mm. and it's like i've found i'm surrounding myself with female doctors mm. Because there is, look, there are great male doctors, don't get me wrong, but there's a connection and an understanding of this is what happens. Yeah. And they've had, you know, regardless if they're, they're at the top of their profession now, they know all the shit. They know what it is it. to be a woman and to walk yeah. around in, the, in a patriarchal world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you can just feel that difference. And it's, yeah. I never thought I'd get to that point, but that's where I'm at, is mm. I need someone who can get it. Yeah. Yeah. And not just the physical med- medical type stuff but get what it's like to live with illness mm. i think that's really really important yeah totally um tell me about family life and your kids and your husband and mm. how how has it been for the whole family when bob came along <laughs> it's been tough yeah it's been tough um i think my youngest was eight and eldest was 11 when i first got crook um, that's a busy time when you're a mum and there's a lot of looking after. really is. And not knowing what was going on. Mm. And I thought I was hiding it really well. I wasn't. Mm. Um, kids pick up on they, everything. They know what happens. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're pretty smart. They are. And I thought I was hiding everything and doing all my mum stuff really well. And I wasn't. And it wasn't, I reckon, maybe one or two years after I first got really ill. And the kids came and told me that they thought I was going to die. And they'd been holding that in because they didn't want to worry me, which is like, oh, you know, real punch to the gut. And it's like, that's when you think you're doing such a good job. And then to hear that and knowing that they'd been worrying their little brains about that all that time um, was really hard. So we made a joint decision as a family to be open 
Mm. Um, and we've staggered the information to their ability to understand yeah. um, and worked out if mum faints, what do we do? So they know, and even they can, both of them can tell when I'm starting to go. Apparently it's obvious. I get, they call it stroke face. Oh. <laughs> I get <laughs> left side of my face without fail will drop. Yeah, right. So I get ptosis and the side of my mouth yeah. goes down and I get really pasty and gross and I um, can't form words or sentences, anything. Mm-hmm. And so they'll get me a drink and tell me to sit down. And yeah. it's that weird thing of your body's going, you're really not functioning at all, but you're not really aware that you're not functioning. So you need someone to tell you. Yeah. Um, and so we sort of worked that out and, you know, pull the dogs off mum if mum falls down, you know, because Great Danes are <laughs> excited, lovely animals. And enormous. <laughs> and enormous. So when they're like licking your face to wake you up oh. and stuff, it's like, oh, just just back a little bit. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, I had, at one stage when it was bad, um, I was passing out even lying down and I woke up with Freya pounding on my chest. Oh my god! And barking. And licking my face and hysterical to wake so me worried. up. Yeah. yeah. And so I woke up with this dog pounding on my chest and it's like, that was great. Um, <laughs> I hope all your ribs were intact. After yeah, they're a bit idea. sore, a bit sore. <laughs> um, but the kids sort of got to learn those aspects to make it easier. But yeah. there was a couple of times, like I still remember myself, um, I think we had to go to, it was band sign up or something like that. And we got to the end of the road and I could feel I was going to pass out. So we had to pull off the side of the road. Mm. And if you know the hills, like around the Danny Nongs, there's not really any great place to pull off no. anywhere. And I had to put my head between my legs and the kids are like panicking next to me. And it's like, just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. It's... So you're driving at this point? No, I'd pulled over. But you were you were the one sort of driving the car. I mean, yeah, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. So That's scary. Because David worked away a lot. So it yeah. was... Um, myself and the boys a lot Mm. Um, and it was difficult so that openness I think was key Mm. um, in the end and giving them the tools like not expecting them to work it out themselves even Mm. if you say if mum faints do stuff working with them to work out what it is and making it that collaborative thing just takes off so much of the weight Um, and eventually both of them have been to appointments as Mm. well so they can hear the doctor talk yeah. and sort of they can ask questions if they wanted to. That's um, great. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that openness, that inclusiveness just takes so much fear off. Yeah. Um, oh, look, our time has gone off. <laughs> I'll just stop. The, I'll, I'll get you to sort of finish your thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that for the kids was really tough. Yeah. Um, and they've taken on a lot more responsibility as well. Um, but they have turned out to be quite caring, loving, yeah. sensitive boys or men. They're 18 and 22 now, so men. Wow. Um, but, yeah, very compassionate and understanding of, you know, not everyone has a fantastic life and maybe yeah. whether it's illness or something else going on, they can look at that and feel empathy, I guess, mm. which is sort of a really nice thing in this day and age where everything's yeah. so horrible like the political discourse and social discourse is so horrid at the moment to have that for them I'm really yeah happy um and for my husband I think I mean he can probably speak to it better but initially it was really hard 
because I was hiding stuff. Mm. So because he wasn't home. Yeah. And I'd hide that I'd passed out three times in the week. You wanted to protect him from yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. And I don't think I wanted to acknowledge it either. Yeah, that makes sense. You know mm. how you can sort of rationalise really weird stuff? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it was perfectly mm. normal that I face-planted in the bathroom. <laughs> um, but it was tough at the start because of that. And it took a long time, I guess, for me to be open enough with him mm. about it. Um, so we had fights and stuff, as you do. Um, but now... He's, as I said, he's a fantastic advocate. Mm. Um, he's very open about what we deal with, with even the guys at work will know. Yeah, <laughs> and stuff. cool. Um, and we work through a lot of stuff with sarcasm and, you know, he's always joking that I'm going to keel over and he'll get the payout and yeah. get his new wife and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I couldn't do it without him. No way. Yeah. Like, just to have that solid support when things are really bad, mm. there's nothing like it, you know, to know you can actually rely on someone else yeah. and you can just be sick, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, as much as it was tough at the start over the years, it's just gotten, you get into the swing of it, it becomes mm. your normal. So our family life revolves around many things and one of those is that I'm ill. Yeah. But... Neither neither of the kids or David are embarrassed by that. Yeah. So, like, I went to the Melbourne Comedy Festival with my eldest, mm. and his greatest joy was pushing me in the wheelchair and dividing people <laughs> as we walked. So he's like, I'm parting the waves like losers. <laughs> you know, so they don't really care. And, you know, Liam, my youngest, he's been to the chemist to buy me a fleet enema. You know, it's just, it's part of life, and yeah. they're not embarrassed. So, yeah which is kind of nice. Yeah. So it's been tough though. There's yeah. no two ways about it. It's been tough yeah. as well. So it's a lot to handle. I met a woman that um, has sort of similar stuff to me going on with like chronic fatigue and fibro and, and quite a severe back injury. Mm. And she's got a little boy. I think he's about three or thereabouts. And um, I said, oh, how's your, how's your little boy? Like, do, does he understand what's happening for you? And, um, and she said, he's just the most compassionate, beautiful little dude. And he's not, it's not stressful for him because it's kind of normal. Yeah. And so he's just really good at seeing people where they are, where they're at. And I think that's, nice. of, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, if there's a silver lining to it all, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and kids are resilient. Yeah. Like amazingly so. It's mm. You know, I mean, as their mum, you worry constantly and you worry about the burden you're placing on them and all that. But in the end, they are really resilient. Yeah. And, that, and I think particularly with people who have little kids or, you know, starting to have kids or whatever, to know that your kids are going to survive it mm. and they're going to be okay in yeah. the end. Like not, I suppose they don't just survive, they thrive yeah. in the end. I think that's a really important thing for people to know because there's so much guilt. Oh. Mm. The guilt is great. Yeah. Any parent, I think, just has non-stop parent guilt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. And you throw throw illness into the mix. It can be quite a cocktail. It can. And, yeah. I mean, people tell you all the ways you're doing your parenting wrong anyway. <laughs> so that that's just comes with it. You know, whatever yeah. you do, you're wrong. It's like, yeah. it's the same with illness. Whatever way you deal with it, you're wrong. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. You get, yeah, it just becomes life. Yeah. It becomes life and... 
you know, all that angst at the start sort of becomes white noise, I guess. Mm. In a sense, sorry, my chicken's laid an egg. <laughs> um, I'll just point the mic over. <laughs> They're all going. <laughs> We're laying eggs! <laughs> yes, it's very exciting, egg legs. So. <laughs> all right, well, we'll take a little break. Okay. I loved what you were saying about um, sarcastic humour before. Yeah. We're, like, my partner and I are exactly the same. And she, yeah. I'll often, you know, if I don't want to do the dishes, I'll be like, oh, my myalgia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's like, if you didn't have the fibromyalgia, I'd get you in a headlock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the only way to do it. Obviously. Yeah, you got to be way. ridiculous sometimes. Oh, you do. Yeah. Otherwise it's too depressing. Yeah. God. Totally. Um, what about friendships? Has that changed since since you know the last ten years? Oh God, yeah. And just relationships in general yeah. with people, yeah. Um, the the one big thing I think it's a really common theme for just from forums and stuff like that. People who stay and people who just disappear. Like, poof. yeah, poof. Oh, you're yeah. my best friend. Who knew you're not anymore? Yeah. Um, that initial acute phase I guess people oh yeah we rally to you and yeah. you know you know we'll bring you a casserole or whatever and then it keeps going on and on and on and you don't get better and it doesn't really matter like people want you to get better and if you don't and you don't take their suggestions on board <laughs> <sighs> oh. um, which are irritating oh um, so irritating yeah people just <laughs> disappear and yeah. it's People who I thought would stand by me didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, one particular friend that I lost was really upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had expected a lot more from her. Um, and even now, like it's not that raw feeling, but it's still, there's a little piece in my heart that just says that was so horrid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had people step up who I didn't think would care. Yeah, right. Um, which was really lovely. But the numbers were small, yeah. I'll have to say. Um, people, when you can't go out for coffee and you can't do all those little social... Maintain the... Yeah. yeah the, the spontaneous coffee or... Yeah. People just stop inviting you and you become an afterthought mm. and then you become no thought. Um, and a lot of that care is fatigue, I think, or mm. care fatigue not carers fatigue Mm. um people just disappear so people i thought were friends just were fair weather friends Mm. um and in a sense i'm glad to have that knowledge and not wasted so much emotional energy on people who were never going to give back yeah i can say that now at the time i was very upset um but it's one thing to become really unwell but then to feel disappointment and loneliness and lack of interaction with people yeah yeah that's shithouse it's really yeah it really is and it's i guess there's always that sense of this is how it should be Mm. and it's really cutting when it's not and that's family and friends it's not Mm. just friends you know the blood relative doesn't actually guarantee anything yeah basically Mm. um which is a nice 
thing to find out. Um, having said all that, I did meet my best friend, Kerry, who is, oh, she's, I reckon, the best person I've ever met in my life. She's just mm-hmm. the nicest, most genuine, kind, caring, lovely person who gets me in all my weirdness. Um, and I met her at neuro rehab and we bonded over the sleazy old men who kept getting on us. Frank, Frank who kept asking her out for dinner oh. and coffee and oh, just look. No, just Frank. Go, go away, Frank. Go away. Step off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like everyone else was there for hip replacements and stuff. And she was there for a neurological condition as well. Um, and we really bonded closely over that. And then eventually we had a, um, we called it, um, what was it? It was a gorgeous women's group hmm. we called ourselves, which was all young women, 20s, 30s, early 40s, who had, it was everything from strokes to that had brain surgery for mm. cysts to MS to spinocerebellar ataxia, my crap. And yeah. we're all in there going, there's no one else like us. Yeah. <laughs> like, and we're young. And we're so young. And yeah. we're not supposed to be here. And everywhere we look in the medical system says we're not supposed to be here. Yeah. And so my lovely physio and Fran, the social worker, got our group together and we'd have an hour of physio and then we'd have an hour of coffee and bitching and moaning and laughing and awesome. all that afterwards. Yeah. And that was just brilliant. And yeah. I'm so glad I met all of those girls. Some I still keep in contact with, him, but not all of them, yeah. as always happens. Kerry's been the constant. Um but that meeting people who got it and could laugh about it and knew all how shit it was. And, yeah. you know, when you turn up, I did a three-week inpatient stay of rehab and I was stuck in a ward with everyone was way over 80. Mm. And I'd go down to rehab and there'd be me and then just grey hair mm. everywhere. I'm <laughs> just like, oh. Where's my tribe? There is no tribe. Yeah. (laughs) And I'd listen to Stan next door coughing up his lung. Things you do. Um, But those kind of friendships were so important at the time. Yeah. Um, And also online friendships, which people pay out online all the time and they pay out on social media. But there are people who, from day one, I'm still in contact with like seven years later of yeah. being online who are friends in every sense of the word. Yeah. But there's just no, there's no difference to if I'd met them in real life. Yeah. And they're all girls who've, or women who've had some form of dysautonomia basically. But now it's also expanded outside of that. As you mm-hmm. do, you get into the chronic illness community and meet other people with other disorders. But that, I guess it's that tribe thing. You're mm. saying, um, finding people who get it, who can laugh at it, who know how shit it is, but can also give you some medical information, <laughs> and mm. all of that has been fantastic. Like that, that has kept me going mm. throughout. And particularly when you can't get out of your house, like I can't drive anymore, so yeah. I can't just go anywhere to meet people. Like, how do you meet people when you're not working and you can't leave your house? I know it's like, yeah. <laughs> you don't have that accidental socializing no no yeah that ever most people do yeah yeah and it's that accidental stuff that then builds into more substantive relationships and if you can't do that where do you find people and Mm. the reality is you find them online and yes there are some weirdos oh totally yeah and some scary people and all (laughs) that stuff but there are so many good people online Mm. 
and I've had the pleasure of meeting some now in real life. Like I had a friend, Rachel, who's in New Zealand and she came over and we all got together and met up and it was just so lovely and natural and it was everything you would hope a friendship would be. And there's another group of girls who are all in Melbourne who I catch up with when we can and depending on who's sick and who's not as it is. But I don't know what I would do without those friendships and without Kerry's friendship as well. Yeah. When all the others are pretty much gone. So. Yeah, it's great to have relationships where you don't have to explain. Yes. So many things. Yeah. Or feel awkward because, like, for me, I need a chair with a back on it if we're in a cafe and yeah. and everyone's sitting on a bench and then I oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for us, a lot of people need to lie down and stick their feet up. Yeah. And it's like you can't do that in many places. Yes. <laughs> So go to someone's house and know mm. you can just lie on the floor and they'll go, yes. yep, and we'll just keep chatting. Like Michelle's yeah. not lying on the floor or whatever. Yeah. Um, that level of stress is gone and mm. it's so, I don't know, it's invigorating to have that. Yeah. You know, and it's Things not, that are easy. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's, I don't know, I think the first time I met other people with my disorder and we're all like pasty and... You know, people would get there and start slurring because the blood pressure was going and everyone just goes, yeah, whatever. Yeah. No explanation needed. And it was just fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, A bit of the soup. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at my notes and it's, yeah. I made it a big font, but it didn't help. I've had a very busy weekend. (laughs) Um, 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 Yeah, we've talked about that. We've talked about that. Oh, now... I feel like everyone um, who has had some sort of health shit fight go on has had huge financial impact. How how has it has it been a huge change for you, going from yeah. quite a quite a what sounds like a high powered job in, in the medical profession to not working in that field anymore? Well, it's that thing of not only do you lose your wage which is just gone. Yeah. Then you have the outlay. So many expenses. Oh, oh my so God. So much is not covered. Yeah. So I, I mean, we have a good health system compared to the rest of the world. Mm. I get that. But if you're chronically ill and you have multiple conditions and it's a bit weird, mm. you're screwed. Yeah. Basically, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. How are you managing that? Oh, you know, <laughs> not well. Yeah. I shop a lot at Aldi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> things like that. Um, I shop my wardrobe. Um, <laughs> it, it's just tough. Like I take two medications that aren't on the PBS, mm. so they're really expensive, yeah. and I feel guilty every time I pop one. But at the same time, I need it. Yeah. Um, I've got multiple medications. It just adds up, and specialists are never bulk billed because mm. they're specialist specialists. So. The fees involved in that, there's always a gap. Plus, you've got the outlay. Like, you've mm. got to find that original you know, 300 bucks or whatever to see them. And, yeah. yeah, you get some back from Medicare, but you've still got to find that to begin with. Plus, mm. I live rurally like you do, so you've got transport costs yeah. to get to Melbourne. Um, as things have gotten more complex for me, some of the, like, genetic tests and stuff just aren't covered. Yeah. But it's, do you not have it... And what if that's the one? And what if it's something I'm going to pass on to my kids? I need to know yeah. that. Um, but those kind of costs, I don't think the government gets. And most people don't get until they're in the position. Mm. Or even just stuff like 
you know, we're told must wear compression stockings. Okay, but like the pair I'm wearing now is about $120. They last six months. Yeah. You know, that's a big outlay for people. And if you're on a disability support pension or something, mm. you're pretty screwed. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky David works, so that sort of helps. Um, but those kind of outlays, just the, you know, again, we're told we have to do physio. You've got to pay for a physio. Mm. Um, going through the hospital here, the fees are still exorbitant going through the public rehab. So mm. I just stopped applying for stuff. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of thing just adds up. And there have been times over the past 10 years where money's been really tight. So I haven't renewed a prescription or I've skipped pills and done every second day or, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. I think most people don't actually realise even people who are working are doing that yeah um so we don't qualify for anything so and your quality of life suffers yeah yeah Yeah. and it's already impacted it's yeah Yeah. we don't do holidays Mm. well we've done the last two years a friend lent us their beach house for free so we did that nice but we can't afford to go on a holiday and pay for everything Mm. um stuff like that again i don't think people realize like the the financial impact of illness, chronic illness, is just massive, mm. just massive, and it's all the incidental things. And like dietary wise, I can't just eat stock standard food anymore. So, yeah. you know, I have to buy a supplement, those liquid gross feeds for the times I can't eat at all. Mm. Um, and then I'm also got allergies, and it just goes on and on. It's like there's one expense after another, after another, after another, after another, and all of a sudden you go. Oh crap! Yeah, <laughs> all our savings are gone, and yeah, you know, it... and having to juggle all that stuff when how do you how do you even think think it all through? I I find that really hard. Just like okay, so we've got the mortgage, we've got the rates, we've got um, the gas bill, the car's about to blow up. Yep. Whoa, too hard. I'll deal with that another day, but then another bill's come in, and yep, yep. just yeah. And, and there's no one else to do it for you. It's just... No. Yeah. Adulting's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> Adulting sucks, really. <laughs> um, I'm really um, lucky David takes most of that on board because mm. I am brain fogged 90% of the time and I've had worsening cognitive issues the last year, mm. um, which now need to be investigated. Um, so that makes it hard for me to be juggling the important stuff, yeah. which is another burden for him to take on. Um and again, that's another thing I think with illness, people don't realise how much your other half takes on board. Because if you, just, you have one. Yeah, well, if you have one, yeah. yeah. I can't imagine doing it alone. I really yeah. can't at all. Um, but he always says, you know, he doesn't think of himself as a carer, mm. but he is. Yeah. You know, he's my husband and my carer. It's, you know, which is a difficult road to navigate yeah. at times. Yeah. So, and it's sort of how do you maintain relationship when you're sick all the time mm. and you can't do normal relationshipy things yeah. um you know just even basic stuff like sex is exhausting and yeah it's nothing more romantic than saying get off get off i'm going to vomit like <laughs> you know romance woohoo <laughs> yeah you know that kind of stuff is yeah yeah tough. i've been um my partner's pregnant and the first so exciting so exciting um but the first three months 
we've been it's been quite funny because we're both on the same kind of energy level because <laughs> <laughs> she's been feeling horrendous yeah. and just seedy and no energy and very horizontal yeah. all of the time and and we're both for the first time in years we're both on the same page yeah. it's all about netflix and very easy food and yeah yeah yeah, you, yeah. Do, you do what you need to do to get through. Yeah. And it's a yeah. negotiation thing and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, mm. David downloads everything and we sit yeah. and watch stuff. Yeah. It's <laughs> our exciting life now. Yeah, same. So. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Um, tell me about your self-image. It's better now. <laughs> it's, it's one of the hardest things, I think, was leaving work. Yeah. Or, or realising I couldn't do work anymore, which was preceding that. Mm. Um, I was so wrapped up in that as my identity. Um, losing that was like losing a limb. Mm. You know, and it was... I'm very good at catastrophizing. Like, my brain goes there every time. So it was like the worst thing in the world and blah, blah, blah. And I'm convinced that I'm going to die and live in... Or, but before I die, I'll be living in my car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah I have those thoughts. <laughs> If I still have a car. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it took a long time to get past that. And part of that was therapy. Mm. Like I can't recommend that highly enough. It's not saying that it's in your head, but you're dealing with a lot of shit. And it's, I don't care who you are. You need someone else to be a sounding board yeah. who has no stake in your life. Yeah, having that space where you can oh. just let it all out. Yeah. And it doesn't impact the other person yes. on a personal level. Yeah priceless absolutely yeah. priceless and look i'll admit i said at the start when the doctor suggested it, i said no i don't need that <laughs> i'm not seeing a psychologist i know it all mm. um and i'm so glad i did like it's just yeah. yeah that i think that no stake in your life is just brilliant yeah because you can say so much to your partner to your parents to your friends but they all have a stake in you and your relationship with them so yeah that was brilliant again fran fran if you're listening you're wonderful <laughs> i think she's retired now um my fran is called sue yeah changed my life yeah, yeah. everyone <laughs> needs one they really do yeah. um but it took a long time to get past that i wasn't going to be going back to work to finding that like my brain was Physically, I've always been crap, like at sport and stuff like that. Mm. So it was everything was brain stuff. And mm. I could write and I could speak and I was doing in-services and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I was sitting there going, I can't spell my own name. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did I get to this point where I can't spell my own name? And I'm looking at my buddy. I, was at a, I think I was at a servo and I had to sign the thing. And I'm like, I can't spell my fucking name. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Um, <laughs> the podcast because yeah. whatever you like <laughs> um that was really confronting and yeah. realizing i couldn't go back and part of that was cognitively i couldn't go back but part of it was also ethically i couldn't go back because mm. i was doing a lot of medical legal stuff so whether someone had the capacity to make a decision about going into a home or driving yeah. or changing their will or something that changes people's lives and i didn't feel confident enough and competent enough anymore to mm. do that um, and so it's been a lot of re-navigating who I am and that's changed over mm. the 10 years, I think. Um, I'm a lot more comfortable with who I am now than that. So I don't, 
you still worry about what people think. Like that's just a natural thing. But mm. for the most part, I couldn't give a crap. And it's like, yes, I'm sick. I don't need to prove it anymore. I don't really care if people don't, you know, that whole, oh, but you don't look sick crap. Yeah. I don't really care. Like it's just <laughs> whatever. And even like my eldest son, we went down for his birthday earlier this year and he said, you really don't give a fuck, do you, mum? <laughs> it's like, no, no, I don't. So that's why I've got green hair at the moment, you yeah. know, and I wear what I want and I write what I want and say what I want and I've got a disco ball in my chook house and, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. I get messages from people going, oh, I, I could never change the colour of my hair. And it's like, yeah, you can. Why not? You yeah. can. It's dye. It's going to yeah. grow out or you can change it or whatever. Um, and I think... I don't know if I know who I am, but I'm more comfortable with who I am. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, and I expect that it'll change over the years. Like I, I think there's a pressure in society to have a life that you get or achieve or whatever. And once you're there, you don't need to change anymore. And that's so not the case. Like life is flux and flow and it's ups and downs and the people you interact with, the places you go all of it just changes you constantly and if you keep fighting it you're never going to be happy so you know I do meditate and all that kind of stuff as well but I know that next year I may not be doing that I may be doing something else that fits for me yeah if that makes sense like I I yeah I don't yeah I don't I don't think I'll ever be fully happy with who I am, but I'm also okay with that idea as well. Like, I don't think I have to be a fully formed human being who knows exactly who they are all the time. You don't have to be self-actualized. Yeah. 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 I just, <laughs> I just think accepting I'm going to change, there'll be good and bad mm. and you can manage it and get through it and just to live, like just to really live. Yeah. I think that's probably where I'm at now. Ask me next week, it'll be different. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I think holding on to the past, holding on to what you think should be, you'll never get there, mm. ever. Like, that's my thing. Take each day <laughs> as it comes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a big forward planner in that. I've found over the last 10 years I can't, mm. so I don't, and mm. that's a relief. So I just, yeah, I'm not a, you know how there's always the 10 tips to happiness and you've got to follow the steps and dot point it all and all that. I think that's a lot of bullshit, basically. Um, I think each of us, it's so incredibly different what's Mm. going to make us happy and it's okay that it's different and you don't check off all the dot points and you don't have to read every article about the tips to do this and tips Mm. to do that because that's someone else's opinion. And someone else's interpretation of life. Yeah. So you've got to work out what yours is. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's me. <laughs> wow. I think that's a, that's kind of a great place to wrap up, but I want to ask you one more question. Yep. Um, and that's what do you wish that people would know about autodisonomia? Dysautonomia? Dysautonomia. <laughs> Dysdinosauria or opium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. No, I could say it for a long time. Bob, that's why Bob came about. Yeah. I couldn't say or spell it. So um, it's real, I guess, mm. is the big thing because that's a huge impediment to diagnosis. Yeah. 
Um, it's real. It affects people. It's not just, I've heard a few people say, the doctor said, oh, you just have to change your life a bit. It's like, a, a bit. A bit. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, but yeah, I think knowing it exists, knowing there are other people with it, so you're not alone. Um, I think that's vitally important. Um, I would like doctors to know about it and to know you can't just tell a patient, oh, here's one pill. If that doesn't work, you're screwed, which is bullshit because it's a trial and error approach to find a combination of all sorts of things that work for an individual patient. Yeah. Um, I want people to know it does impact a lot of lives. Um, and then it's variable, really variable. Like it's not a stock standard anything for anyone. Like people have a core group of symptoms that they can relate to, but then there's a whole lot of stuff around that. And then on top of that is all how many social supports you have, mm. how you feel about yourself, your access to medications, your, you know, all that the other life factors. Mm. I think they're forgotten still from that medical model of illness and disability. Mm. There's all these life factors that are going to be impacting people who have this diagnosis and yes we may not get better but you can have a life and it's manageable well sometimes manageable not always um but you can have a life and be chronically ill and you can be happy and be chronically ill yeah like i wish people knew that when they get the diagnosis yes oh my gosh that is that's such a good point yeah yeah no one told me that. No. No one told me mm. that at all. And like that whole without your health, you have nothing. Oh, fuck that in oh. the face. Yeah. Yeah. I did a, um, we had a salon last year for International Day of People with Disability. And I, that's mm. why I spoke on that. Yeah. Um, and it's just bullshit. It's such crap. Mm. And it's entitled, privileged crap. Yeah. And it's so damaging to people. When you mm. think, you know, one in five people live with disability one in two have an illness of some form. So mm. you're telling a large proportion of the population in this country or the world their life is over. Yeah. That's such they bullshit. have nothing. Yeah. Oh, it couldn't be further from the truth. Exactly. And I yeah. think until we change that narrative of illness and disability, mm. we're going to be hurting more and more people because mm. everyone's going to have something happen or to happen to a loved one or, yeah. you know, I don't think I have nothing. I think I have a pretty good life. Mm. you know like you're smoking hot spunky fox you know yeah. I just you've got a really great dog you've got a great family yeah. it's just you're a creative vibrant person yeah I just suck it world yeah. I'm doing stuff now that I never thought I'd do like I never thought I would present at a writers festival yeah I never thought I would write a blog I never there's all these possibilities that we're shutting down for people mm. because they're sick or disabled and I just think if not just for dysautonomia, but illness in general, if our doctors actually said, mm. this sucks, I'm going to help you, I believe you, and you're going to find a life in this, I think that would be so powerful. Yeah. So They should be... hand you that on a tea towel. Yes. You, yeah. Or a tote bag or a yeah. T-shirt or something. Yeah. Maybe, maybe add in the, you won't believe it right now, yeah. but it will happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Pantene. Put this away for a few years' time. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think there's like for most people there is a there's a grieving process yes. and oh. and acceptance and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I found it really interesting what you were saying before about um, 
looking for other writers and there's I, yeah, those two ends of the spectrum, the the glass face, everything's fine, everything's fine, and the Debbie Downers. Yeah. And I'm so controlling about who I'll have on this podcast. <laughs> I've never done an open call. Yeah. Um, because I'm I don't want to support that those kinds of messages because no. they're not helpful. They're not sustaining for people. No. They're not empowering. They're not they're not real. I mean, they might be part of someone's process, but. That's that's not where I'm at, and that's not how I've found happiness occurs. No, you know? it's that grey. We live in grey. We yeah. don't live in black and white yeah. at all. And within that grey, there's all these little spots of colour, which are freaking great. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, yeah, I think that permanently positive group think is just, that needs to be just dispelled, like yeah. just kicking the nuts and thrown away and... Needs a nut kicking. It yep. really does. It yeah. really does. So, mm. yeah. well, Michelle, it's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. It's been great coming to your house and <laughs> hanging out with dog your, love. your dog <laughs> and your chalks <laughs> and met your son and yeah. yeah. No, it's been really great. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I forgot to set a timer, but that <laughs> that one was about twenty five minutes. So. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Fully Sick. All of your reviews and ratings on iTunes are very much appreciated. So if you like what you hear, we'd love it if you could keep them coming. You can get in touch with us via fullysickpodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page and a Twitter thingamajig. Catch you next time. Cheers.